Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. He is risen. Risen indeed. We have so much to rejoice in and be thankful for and to praise God about. And this is the celebration day. So the question is put forth today, is there life after death? What do you think? (laughs) You've been singing it for a while this morning. I hope you know the truth of God's word. Is there life after death? The most important question that Easter answers is this question. And I think it's, uh, it would be an understatement for me to say that this is a very, very um, popular question to be sought out, the answer to be sought out. If you go to the bookstore, you go to look at the bookshelves, you will find all kinds of books written on the hereafter, uh, particularly in the Christian bookstores of these near-death experiences. And uh, why are there so many books written on uh, life after death? Well, the statistics are in. And the simple truth is this, in every single report, 100% of us die. So it is rather uh, an important subject for us to take note of and understand. But I would uh, quickly say that of uh, the bookshelves that are stuffed with uh, so-called accurate information on life after death are full of misinformation, they're misleading, lots of misunderstanding, Uh, In fact, uh, there's as much misunderstanding, I think, as the submissions of the book and the subject themselves. In fact, most of you probably know that not that long ago, a young man by the name of Alex Malarkey, note the last name, Alex Malarkey wrote a book entitled The Boy Who Came Back from Heaven, and uh, Tyndale House publishers ended up with lots of egg on their face when he confessed that He didn't actually go and visit heaven. And so there were millions of copies out there in Christian homes, and he apologized for his lie. I had had to listen at a family funeral not that long ago to a Unitarian spiritual celebrant tell all of us that the hereafter is a great unknown mystery. Now, that is a really bad way to begin a funeral. I felt like standing up and saying, thanks for nothing. But it was a family funeral, and I wasn't invited to do the service, so I had to sit and be quiet. And I'm not very good at that, but I, I, managed to, <laughs> I managed to suck it all up and just listen and realize this is going to be a funeral that will bring no hope whatsoever to those who are there. But Jesus has brought to light this mystery to light. We're we're not left wondering about the the hereafter or the unknown. We don't need to read books about so-called near-death experiences, about what people are saying about heaven. We have God's word on the matter. We have the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The central message of Christianity is about life after death. This is who we are. We should be specialists in this. We know all about this. Or maybe we don't. Maybe we need to talk about it. But the central distinctive of our faith is a resurrected Lord Jesus Christ who died and rose again. That's what we believe. That is the central truth about life and death and the the hereafter. It's about resurrection. That's Christianity. Would you turn in your Bibles with me to the account of the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Uh, There are four accounts in the Gospels, of course, but I want to look at Luke chapter 24 for a moment. 
It will not be my main text. I want the, for the main text to be 1 Corinthians chapter 15, so you can uh, hunt that up as well. But in Luke chapter 24, we have the record of the uh, resurrection of Christ. And it begins this way in verse 1. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. And in their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee? The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. This is the word of God. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, uh, as we come into uh, uh, your presence uh, through your word this morning, we thank you already for the time we've had with you. Uh, Lord God, we thank you for inviting us to be together this morning. We thank you for this great celebration. Truly, our hearts are overjoyed because this is the celebration of life. This is the celebration of eternal life. This is the celebration of sins forgiven and guilt removed and abundant life and a relationship with the Father in heaven. Oh God, this is the, 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 uh, the pinnacle of all it is and all it means to be a follower of Christ, to be a Christian. Uh, to know you and to love you and to, to serve you and to thank you for all that you've done for us and, and, and for uh, our, our everlasting, the promise of our everlasting relationship with you. Oh God, we just come to, together this morning and ask that the, the presence of your spirit would continue to settle upon us. And Lord, uh, in particular, I pray that, that uh, all of our hearts would be upgraded in our, our thankfulness and in our security and in our confidence in you. Oh, God, I pray that, that you would, um, if there are hearts here that are far from you, hearts that uh, have never turned uh, to respond to the invitation of salvation, our Father, thank you that you're merciful and not willing that any should perish. Thank you for your mercy today. You've brought people into this room, into, a hearing, into the hearing of the word of God, the, the precious gospel of Jesus Christ, the, the word of life is being presented now, and people can choose life today uh, in the hearing of your word. And so, Father, I pray that, that there wouldn't be a soul in this building or, or who would hear this replayed uh, uh, anywhere who would turn and turn away from you, but would rather would respond to you, O oh God. And since you are a saving God, and since you desire to save people, Father, we know we are praying and asking you for what, you're, what you desire and your will to do. And so we ask for the souls of men and women and young people today, Father, all over the world where the gospel is being preached. May this Easter Sunday be the greatest harvest of all time, Father, I pray. And I pray this for the glory of Christ, for your glory's sake, O Lord, for Jesus' sake, I pray, amen. I want to share some thoughts with you today about this great truth of resurrection. Here's the great news. 
I want you to, to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This, this chapter is chock full of great, great news. It, it's a wonderful, one of the great chapters of the Word of God. And, um, and the message of Christianity, I hope you understand, is good news. In fact, it's great news, and it is presented here. And for people who find themselves distant from God, if you're here this morning and you find yourself somehow alienated from God, a distance from God, somehow still trapped in your sinfulness, and, and, and you've turned your back away from your living sinfully and living shut out of His presence and, and, and anticipating if you were to die that you don't know where you would go, then this is a day that your experience can change forever. That's the great truth of Christianity. In the hearing of God's truth, this day can be a day of change for you. It can change your whole life. It can change your whole eternity. Today could be your day of meeting Christ, finally meeting Christ and turning your life over to him. And that's the great news that the Apostle Paul presents here. He says this is the gospel. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3, Christ died for our sins according to the scripture, was buried, and he was raised again the third day according to the scriptures. This was not a surprise. The crucifixion, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ was not a surprise to those who had been paying attention to the word of God over the centuries. Uh, I've jotted down a couple of uh, texts that no doubt the Apostle Paul was, had, uh, was thinking about when he was writing this. He was thinking about the crucifixion of Christ, and the, the, the substitutionary death of Christ in Isaiah 52 and 53. He was thinking about the resurrection of Christ in Psalm 16, in Psalm 110, in Hosea 6.2. Listen to the remarkable statement uh, in, a, in a text that you probably maybe ha haven't encountered for a while. In the book of Hosea, the prophet Hosea writes this in Hosea 6, verse 1 and 2. Come, let us return to the Lord. He has torn us to pieces, but he will heal us. He has injured us, but he will bind up our wounds. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will restore us that we may live in his presence. What an amazing uh, and precise pro prophecy of the exact exactness of the crucifixion, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ in the text of Scripture. Now, you know uh, this morning, beloved, that most other religions, uh, most other movements have a tombstone marker uh, for their leaders. Moses, Muhammad, uh, lie in the grave. And they have a vague and co a common, vague, insecure description of the afterlife, which is fuzzy and, and, and hard to understand. The, the common th theme of that is the, is the vagueness of it, but not so with Christianity. Uh, Christianity is an empty tomb. Jesus Christ rose uh, to life. It's not, uh, his resurrection wasn't just spiritual. It wasn't conceptual. It was actually material, a, a material uh, uh, resurrection of Christ. In fact, we find out in the scriptures later that he was touchable. In fact, he could eat. We'll, we'll talk more about that in a little, a little time after. But this was the, the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the Apostle Paul states here in the text, this is of first importance in verses 2 and, and verse 1. By this gospel, this precise, specific Good news that brings life to you. By this gospel, you are saved. 
which you have received and upon which you have taken your stand. He makes it abundantly clear that there is no other message in all the world that will provide salvation to people. It's this precise message. It's this good news, this gospel. And he says this is of first importance. There is no other decision you will ever make in all of your life that is as important as this one. All the other decisions you make in life are for time, but this decision is for eternity. And so he says, this is of first importance. There is no other decision like this decision. And, it is, and, and by this decision, by this gospel, uh, you are saved, which you received. In other words, upon the willingness of you to respond to it and to welcome that truth and to, ex- to receive God's invitation for salvation. The simple truth is just because the gospel is true, just because the gospel exists, just because Christ died on a cross, was buried, and rose again, does not mean that every human being is saved because of that. In fact, the text makes it abundantly clear. It's by this gospel you were saved because you received it And you have made your stand upon it. As that 147 champion young people in Kenya lying on the ground uh, confessing their faith in Jesus Christ with a gun barrel to the back of their head stood firm on what they believed to be true. Because they truly belong to Christ. They had it. They, they understood it. It's this gospel you're, sa- you're saved by, providing you welcome this truth. And it's an interesting verb here, you are saved. Uh, we, we can't portray it very well in English, but in the original language, it's, it's both a present and a future tense. We don't have words like that, present and future, but, but it would really be saved by this gospel, you are being and will be saved. It is you are being saved, and you can bank on the fact that you will be saved This is of first importance. That's the truth of this gospel. Now, many of you might be saying there this morning, um, that's very nice, but how do we know it's true that Christ actually was raised from the dead? How do we know this is true? Well, in your Bibles, it says in verse 5, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the 12, and after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time. And I presume that the brothers is a, a catch word for brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Now, by this gospel you are saved, Christ's resurrection from the dead was witnessed by more than 500 people. This message of the gospel, this message of Christianity is not some vague fable, mythological kind of idea. This is something that has time and place and names and eyewitnesses. And these eyewitnesses were still alive. Most of them, he says, were still alive when Paul was writing this letter and they knew what he was saying. And if he was lying, the church wouldn't have kept growing, but the church kept growing. And so uh, we know that this this, uh, 1 Corinthian letter was among the very earliest of the New Testament writings. And so Paul is putting out this truth and declaring that Jesus Christ rose from the grave. And not only that, but people actually saw him. More than 500 people. And they could have objected to Paul's writings, but rather than object, they risked their lives. All but one disciple was martyred. John was the only one who was not martyred. 
Christianity isn't just an idea, some sort of vagueness. It's a physical and spiritual reality. And Paul says in verse 11, and this is what we preach. And this is what you believed. And this is what Calvary preaches. And this is what Calvary's been preaching for 87 years. This gospel message. Never wavering from this message because this is of first importance. It's by this gospel that you are saved. And so he says, this is what you have preached and this is what you have believed. Christ crucified, buried, resurrected, and coming again. The cross of Jesus Christ and the empty tomb symbolizing the resurrection of Christ, the resurrected Christ, are the two indivisible truths of Christianity. In the absence of either one of those two, it is not true Christianity. This is what we preach. And this is what you've believed. If you truly belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what does Christ's resurrection mean? Well, um, in the next number of verses, from verse 12 to verse 19 of this text... The Apostle Paul makes a very strong case for the fact that if Christ has not been resurrected, then people are still alienated from God by their sin. There's no hope of eternal life. The dead are lost. All is lost. Because there is no other message in all the world that presents the case for how a man or a woman or a young person can be made right with God. There is no other religion that presents that case. And so if Christ did not rise up from the grave, then all of us are still alienated from God. There is no way to God. There is no way that our sins can, can, be, made, can be atoned for. There's, there's no way that we can be forgiven. There's no hope after death. All is lost. We might as well eat, drink, and be merry because all is lost. But if Christ has been resurrected, and in verse 20, Paul affirms, but Christ has indeed been raised from the grave, his death then proves something to us, that it is an acceptable sacrifice as a substitute for believers. This is the great news. The great news of Christianity is that there is a way that has been made for a sinner to find their way to God the Father. This is the great news of Christianity, that we know because God accepted that sacrifice, that substitutionary sacrifice, that God has accepted us in Christ Jesus by raising him from the dead. It's finished. It's done. The sacrifice once for all is taken care of. So we gather this morning at so many levels of celebration and realize that we no longer have to pay for our sins. Our sins have been forgiven. Our sins were laid on Christ. And so now he as our substitute has made a way to the Father for us because of the resurrection of Christ. We also recognize as it further states in verse 20, that Christ, because Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, he is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. What does Christ's resurrection mean? It means something very important to us. He, he be, calling him the first fruits is a, is a way of help, helping us to understand what this really means if we know anything about agriculture. 
and uh, I'm stepping out again on, on an area that I don't know anything about. I got a couple of apple trees in my backyard, and I haven't seen first fruits on those suckers for a long time. And I don't know what is the problem. It ha might have something to do with like the one centimeter of topsoil that I actually have in my yard and the rest of the clay and garbage that the uh, c construction people put under my house. But anyway, uh, it's not conducive somehow for first fruits. You know what I'm saying? But first fruits, uh, what that means is when you, when you have a fruit tree or something of that nature and that first fruit comes out, it is they promise that all the rest of the fruit is going to be just like that one. That's what it means. And so Jesus Christ, resurrected bodily from the grave, is the first fruits guaranteeing a harvest of people, guaranteeing what it will be like for us. We're not left in the dark to wonder what will happen to us. If we know what happened to Christ, we know what will happen to us. He rose from the grave bodily and was seen by people as a first fruit. Guaranteeing what will be. So what was Jesus' life like after he had died? Well, in John, in John chapter 20, uh, we find out that the disciples were afraid. They were terrorized by the events of the crucifixion. And so they locked themselves in a room. And, and you find out that as they're in that room locked in, who, who appears? Jesus, the resurrected Christ. Now, now they're just sitting around looking at each other and all of a sudden he just appears. He did not come in through the door. He just appeared. And um, that gives us a, an idea, at least one idea, of what the resurrection of us will be like. We'll be able to walk through a wall. Can you imagine? My kids think that I can't get in. They lock me out in heaven, and I just, like, appear. It's like, how did he get in here? Who let him in? Well, that's what the resurrected body will do for you. And then, and then he, as in Luke, in Luke's account, um, Jesus says to them, I'm not a ghost. Remember he said that to him? Nod if you, you remember that? Nod? Yeah. Nod even if you don't remember because it, it's true. He says, I'm not, a go I'm not a ghost. He said, I'm not a ghost. He says, does a ghost have what? What did he say? Those who nod should know. Flesh and, flesh and uh, does, a, does, a, does a ghost have flesh and bones? No. A ghost does not. And then he, he smells some bacon. Well, oh yeah, it was a Jewish event. So he, he actually... <laughs> He smelt, he smelt some fish. That's what it was. It was fish, wasn't it? He smelt some fish, and he said, uh, give me some of that fish. And he ate it. So listen, listen, we're getting a picture of the resurrection body. It's not some uh, strange, uh, mystic, ethereal kind of thing. It's like a resurrection body. You can walk. You'll be able to go, walk through walls. You'll, you'll, you'll have some sort of touchability. You'll be able to eat. Listen, for those of you, and I know a lot of you at Calvary, you like to eat. And, and uh, so, from what I understand, is um, in the resurrected body state, you'll be able to eat. And so, uh, I, got a, I got a shout out for that one. God, God got a shout out for that one. Yeah, God. And, and so, then he goes on to say, he talks about the first fruits, verse 20, of those who have fallen asleep. Now, I want you to, to know something about this, because... Um, He's talking about now a sequence of events. He's going to talk about a sequence of events that we need to know about in terms of dying and, and Christ and the resurrection and how it all fits together. And so he talks about those falling asleep. When people die in Christ, when they know Christ, they fall asleep. 
Now, it doesn't mean soul sleep or anything like that. It means it's simply a, a, a euphemism, a metaphor to help us to understand that anything that falls asleep is going to what? Wake up. We just sang that. Wake up. Wake up. Wake up, sleeper, and, and uh, let the light of God shine on you. And so they will wake up. In fact, do you remember when Jesus was talking to his disciples and they said, don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. I know mansions, King James, but what house has mansions in the house? It's rooms. The word's rooms. Stay, stay with me here for a second because it's going to make my point. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and get you that where I am, there you may be also. John 14. Okay, Jesus tells his disciples this. The Apostle Paul, in the second letter to the Corinthians, says, absent from the body, present with the Lord. And then also in Philippians, he says, you know, I, I'm torn. I, 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 it'd be better if I'd go to be with Christ, but I need to stay with you. And so we have this case that is made for the fact that when people die, and they talk about falling asleep, their body goes into the grave, but their soul, conscious soul, goes to be in the presence of the Lord, the conscious presence of the Lord. But this is not the resurrection time yet. There's a time coming for resurrection. So in the meantime, what we have here is those falling asleep right now have their conscious souls in the Father's rooming house. Now, and then their bodies are in the grave, all right? That's what he's teaching here. And, and that for since death came through a man, he says, the resurrection of the dead comes through also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive, but each in his own turn. Christ the firstfruits, then... Then when Christ comes, those who belong to him. So there's this gap of time. Uh, you have here, uh, then when Christ comes again, those who belong to him will be made alive. Christ clean, clears out the Father's rooming house so souls can be reunited with their resurrected bodies and with living believers. That's found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. You've heard this recited at many funerals before. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 13. Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus, when he comes, those who've fallen asleep who are presently in the Father's rooming house. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who've fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, with a trumpet call of God, and the dead, uh, uh, the dead in Christ will rise first. So, so those who come back with Christ from his rooming house will, will be reunited now with resurrected bodies and gathered together with those Who's, uh, we'll find out in the, in the twinkling of eye whose bodies are changed and we will be together with Christ, Christ forever. Now there's this sequence of events that are going on here. Uh, then uh, you've got two thens in the text here in, in uh, Corinthians. You've got then when Christ comes and then the end will come. 
And so you've got this, this uh, final events of human history. Jesus triumphs over the wickedness of this world, and then he hands over the kingdom to the Father. Uh, notice in verse 25 and 26. For he must reign, in other words, Christ must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. So you have this, uh, this sequential series of events whereby the Father in heaven will decide it's now time. It's, it's the time of the uh, wrapping up of human history. So Christ returns bringing with him those who are already in his presence and have been in his presence for all these years, those loved ones who, who love Christ and have gone on to be with him, and they will be, they will be uh, uh, united to their resurrected bodies with those of us who may be still alive when Christ returns. Together we will be with Christ, and then Christ, there's a time in between where Christ actually brings all the powers and all the authorities under complete domination of Christ who will reign. And then he hands the whole kit and caboodle over to the Father so that God might be all in all. That's the sequence of events that Christ lays out for us in the, uh, in the final time. So um, for those of you who are worried that the world will end with some great solar explosion or, or you're laying up at night awake worrying that some meteor is going to hit the earth and we'll all be gone or, or somehow you're worried that, that Obama and Iran are going to make some sort of nuclear holocaust, take out the whole world. None of that's going to happen. The end is when the living Christ comes back for us and sets up his kingdom. And that's the truth of the end. That's what God presents here. That's how the end will be. So why bodily resurrection? We, know, we know, understand resurrection could be conceptual or it could be spiritual or all that, but why is it bodily? Why is it bodily resurrection? Is that what's presented here? So much of... Um, the impression that you have of what heaven is like is from the movies or from books you've read and all of that kind of stuff. Listen, heaven is not some sort of airy-fairy, kind of misty, you know, walking around in clouds kind of thing with angel wings bored for the rest of eternity. You know, I don't want to be some sort of chubby angel for the rest of eternity. That's not, that's not the, that is not, I don't know where all of this nonsense comes from. I, I guess it, it's not going to be George Burns with a cigar and some mist and all of that kind of stuff. This is not the way heaven, this is not the way the afterlife is going to be. Not at all, not even close. That, that's why so many of us spend so much of our energy and resources trying to create heaven here on earth because we're like, you know what, I don't know if I'm really looking forward to that whole thing, that deal of just sort of boring for all eternity, laying in some sort of misty fog. What, what is that all about? That's not what it's going to be. The presentation here of the scriptures is a material existence with glorious, adventurous living in a recreated heavens and earth. Read Revelation chapter 20. In fact, we have time. I mean, let's look at Revelation 20 for a second. <laughs> Revelation 21, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And, and uh, for those of you who like jewelry and fine things and bright things and colors and awesome 
Look, look at it in verse 11. It shone with the glory of God, and its brilliance was like that of the very precious jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates and with 12 angels at the gates. And, and um, it, you read down here in verse 19, the foundations of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcedony. I don't know what that is. And the fourth emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth Carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase. Anybody wearing chrysoprase today? Didn't think so. The eleventh jacinth and the twelfth, and on and on. Listen, this is not, does that look like foggy mist with George Burns and a cigar? This, this is an amazing truth that's been revealed to us as Dwayne rightly said this morning, you know, when we're thinking about all of these things and the the things around us that are, are so discouraging and all of that, that, that's not our end. That's not our future. That's not our eternity. Our eternity is the, uh, something that we would never, if we could come up with a, an imagination, we could never imagine what it's going to be. And, and it's, it's, it's a presentation here of, uh, of the great adventure of eternity. One of the truly horrible things, I love everything about my job except for funerals. I hate funerals. Because I, I, I just, I've said goodbye to way too many people I love in this church. And should the Lord decide not to return today, and there are years to come, there'll be many more. And there's nothing good about death. It's a horrible thing. And um, I, I literally, I hate death. Every time I'm, I'm at, at a funeral and having to preside and present some sort of comfort to a family, I, just my heart is totally broken because it is so hard. And there isn't a person in here who has, doesn't know about this. You've, you've been there. You know this. And you're going to be yet things to come. But this glorious truth for us is beyond comparison. I mean, what God has prepared for us and fashioned for us, the, the, this, this great truth of the resurrection of those who are in Christ to be with him forever is a glorious truth that changes everything in our lives. Why? And, and so he goes on to present the case throughout this text in Corinthians, that our resurrected bodies need to be different from our present bodies, and there's a reason for that. When the Father decides that it's time for the Son of God to come again, it says there in the text, verse 52, instantaneously, in the twinkling of an eye, our bodies will be changed. In fact, um, it says there, we will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. That's the motto in many nurseries. It'll, it'll come on. It will, not all sleep, but we will all be changed. Instantaneously, in the twinkling of an eye. And here's the deal. Here's why our bodies have to be changed. And here's why I don't believe anything 
in these sensational books that claim that somebody died and went to heaven and came back. Here's why I don't believe anything. Because there are really only about three accounts in the Bible of such a thing happening. And it's nothing like any of those books. When Ezekiel saw the glory of God, he could only fall on his face. When Isaiah saw the glory of God, all he could say is, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips, living among a generation of sinful people. Oh God. And when the apostle Paul was taken up into paradise, he said that he saw things there that were impossible for him to talk about. And he wouldn't say anything. He never said anything. Paul never talked, never wrote a book on heaven, never wrote a book on his near-death experience. He didn't talk about it. Things too awesome for me. Our frail, sinful bodies cannot take the presence of God. We can't. And so this whole change that's going to take place, giving us resurrected bodies will be imperishable, incorruptible, is so that we can be forever in the pure and holy presence of God. Imagine that. That's what we have to look forward to. Resurrected bodies in the presence of God. And then the final and the last enemy, it says, then death is finally and forever dead to us. That's why we grieve, but not like those who have no hope. Who are those who have no hope? Those who don't know Christ as Lord and Savior. And then he writes, therefore, verse 58, don't be moved from this belief. Stay pure. Be devoted to God's work. The glories of Easter truth, Paul says. Listen to this. Pay attention to this. Don't be moved from this truth. Don't let illness Don't let people persuade you. Don't let hard times. Don't let trouble. Don't let threats. Don't let persecution. Don't let anything move you from this. Because this is the glorious truth of Christianity. That you will be with God for all eternity. This is true because Christ has been raised from the grave. If you've been waffling about this, if you've been been, um, allowing yourself to be distant from God, or if you've never come to a relationship with God... Listen, I I need to say with all the urgency in my heart this morning, you need to get in on this. This is the greatest truth that has ever been offered to mankind. You need to respond to this. Listen, I I look out at an audience like this, and I would presume that there are a couple of people here, possibly a few more than that, who've never responded to this message or who've allowed their lives to drift away from this message and don't have confidence anymore and don't have security anymore in the Lord. I'm telling you, you need to get in on this. You know, I, I look out and my heart breaks to think that there could possibly be somebody in this room who could walk out of this place, this offer of salvation, this of first importance gospel, you could walk out of this place and, and, and go into life knowing full well that if you were to die today, you would not go to be with God forever. 
It's unconscionable for me to think of that. It's just my heart just breaks about that because I love people and I can't even envision that. And especially in a room like this where you've heard the truth and God has presented this truth to you and he's been so merciful to allow you to be here this morning. He didn't have to bring you here this morning. He could have done any number of things to prevent you from being here this morning. But he, he brought you here because he's a merciful God and he's reaching out to you and saying, listen, my son came and died on a cross of Calvary that your sins might be paid for. He was buried and he rose again that you might have life everlasting. Now, why don't you respond to that? Why don't you receive that? Why don't you take this Christ as your own savior? That's the message of the gospel. You need to respond to this truth today. You may never, ever have another opportunity to respond. There is no guarantee that you will ever hear this offer from God again. But it is available to you right now today. You need to secure your eternity today. And look forward. Look forward, brothers and sisters, to the glorious adventure of resurrection. That's what is set before us, no matter what they do, no matter who does what to us, no matter how we go, we have this truth that can never be taken away from us. Our future is resurrection life in the presence of Jesus Christ in the most glorious eternal adventure forever. That's why this day is a glorious day of celebration. Our Father and our God, I pray this morning, I, I thank you for your truth. I thank you for your love for us. I thank you for the, the, the way of salvation. Oh God, what a merciful God you are. Not because we deserved any of this, but because you are gracious, merciful. And so we offer ourselves, Lord, Lord those of us who love you in Christ, we just thank you. We want to praise you and celebrate you today. And Lord, I just pray for those who are on the edge, on the fence, on the bubble. Oh God. Salvation comes from you. And I would ask that the Spirit of God would draw those hearts so that people would say yes to Jesus today. Yes forever. For ask it in Jesus' name. Truly the act of salvation, what brought us salvation, can be described in no other way than what amazing love God has for us. Would we bow our heads together and I just, um, you know, as we've been talking this morning about um, uh, the resurrection of, of uh, our, our lives after death and, and we fundamentally uh, centered our discussion on those who are in Christ and so the question is probably raised, um, well, what about those who don't know the Lord Jesus Christ? Will they be resurrected from the grave? And the answer, of course, in the Bible is yes, all people are eternal. And there will be a general resurrection of all the dead. Those who are in Christ will go to be with Jesus forever. But it says that those who have rejected Christ, have turned their back on him, will be part of the resurrection of damnation, John chapter 5, verse 29, which means resurrected to go to be away from Christ, everything that is good about the Lord God, into a place that is horribly bad. 
That's the offer of salvation, to be rescued, to be saved for all eternity. So I wonder this morning um, how many there are who say, you know, this gospel is what I have believed and have received and take my stand on. How many can say that? that that's what I believe. That is what I have received and that is what I take my stand on. Can I see your hands? Just, yeah, this is a confession of truth. This is who I am. Some of you this morning couldn't do that, but in your heart you want to. You want to know the Lord as your Savior. You say, Pastor, would you pray for me? Is there anybody here this morning who say, I, I wasn't able to raise my hand, but I know I need to make that decision, and I, I, I need to know how to make that decision today, and I want to. Is there anybody I could pray for? Say, Pastor, would you pray for me because I need to make that decision. I need to be all in for God. Anybody, anywhere? Anyone? Our Father and our God. We thank you that the invitation of salvation at this very moment is open and that you are the one who draws hearts to yourself. And I pray on this Easter Sunday 2015 that nobody in this building would leave this place without knowing for certain that they have welcomed and received the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ and upon which they will take their stand for life and for eternity. And so, Lord, we thank you for this beautiful, wonderful day. We thank you for our Savior and the amazing love that made this day possible for us that we could celebrate with great joy the salvation of our souls and the eternal life promised to us. Our destiny is truly magnificent because of Christ Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for Jesus' sake. Amen.